Open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we look at being more spiritually fit in the new year. Um, if you have been a churchgoer for a while, it's probably nothing strange to you. And it might seem kind of, get kind of old after a while. You anticipate the new year and the pastor's going to talk about some kind of resolution thing. Hitting the reset button, you know, tying spiritual fitness in with physical fitness and people starting new diets and making all these resolutions to eat better and exercise or whatever. But I thought it would be important uh, to talk about because we, we don't very often, we do talk about discipleship a lot in, in our church, uh, but when it comes to uh, the disciplines we touch on it every now and then, but now is a really good time of the year to touch on, the, on spiritual discipline and what it means to be a disciple of Christ because people are thinking about, uh, they're thinking about the, the good or maybe poor job that they did over the last year uh, with maybe some, some things that they, they wanted to change. I do that. You might do that. Um... My goal in being physically fit, or at least healthy in some way, um, is I want, to, I want to see my grandkids. I mean, I've got, the odds are, are in my favor that I will have grandchildren. I do have five kids, and when I have five kids, and so, uh, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance we will have grandchildren, and I'm looking forward to that day. And I'm looking forward to playing with kids in the floor again. I know that by the time I do have grandchildren, it'll probably hurt a little more rolling around on the floor. But uh, I love playing with, with my kids when they were little. And I'm looking forward to that. And so that's a little bit of my motivation. And also living longer, spend many more years with my wife, Emily. We just celebrated 21 years uh, this week. And so I've been married to Emily for just actually longer, longer than I was alive before I married Emily. And so we've, we've passed that threshold. And so I, I feel pretty proud of her for putting up with me. You might have goals. You might have different reasons for having those goals. Should we have a reason? Are there reasons that we find in God's word that we should attempt to be and work to be spiritually fit? The answer to that is Yes, we should. And as I mentioned over the last couple of weeks, the F and the I, we're using this word fit as kind of a, a, a word play there. The F stands for feeding yourself in a physical, if you're wanting to be physical, physically fit, if you're wanting to be healthy, um, even though sometimes we want to lose weight or we want to, you know, shed some pounds or, you know, be thinner or whatever, you still have to eat, Right? You got to eat something. It's not a very smart idea if you want to become physically fit to, to not eat anymore, right? It's just not good. The, what you have to do is you have to eat healthier. You have to eat certain things. Maybe certain things you don't like. 
You might have to cut some things out of your diet that you love. One of mine is French fries. Man, I love French fries. Jim Gaffigan once said in a stand-up routine, he said, has your mother ever made anything as good as a McDonald's French fry? He's like, I don't think so. (laughs) I might argue with that. But you can't just stop eating. And in the Christian life, if we want to be spiritually fit, if we want to be all that God intends for us to be, we have to consume something as well. We have to feed on his word. So many passages in Scripture, and the psalmist talks about God's Word, it is like, it's like honey to my tongue, to my lips. It's sweet. It's good. I hide His Word deep within my heart because it has spiritual vitamins and nutrients that physical food doesn't have. I hide His Word in my heart, and it makes my soul healthy. So we feed upon God's Word. We can't be spiritually fit without feeding ourselves God's word. That's the F. The I, as we discovered last week, is inhaling and exhaling. You have to breathe. And what's really cool is that God's designed our body in such a way that when we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide. And so carbon leaves our body. And you literally lose weight just by breathing. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if we could lose as much carbon as we take in, right? just by breathing, but we can't. Our, 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 our lungs can't keep up. Speaking of McDonald's french fries, right? But nonetheless, when we breathe out, it is a filtration system. Our body is releasing carbon and you're literally losing calories just by breathing. And so when your doctor says you need to go work out, you need to get your heart pumping, yes, that's all great, but what's also good is when you go and you run or jog or work out, weights or whatever, swim, whatever you do, when you get your breathing up to be more rapid than when you're just sitting at a desk reading books or on your computer or whatever, the amount of times that you breathe, when that's increased over a 24-hour period, you're breathing out more carbon than usual and you will burn more calories just by breathing. It's pretty interesting. And in the same way, spiritually, we have to breathe in and breathe out. We have to inhale and exhale. And so many people just, just inhale spiritually. We read books by people. We read blogs by people. We go to church. We hear sermons. We have podcasts. We have favorite Christian authors. We have favorite Christian speakers who come on the television and we take in and we take in and we take in and we take in. And that's good. It's good. But it's not healthy just to breathe in. You have to breathe out part of our mission statement, right? To lean in, look up, and live out. You have to live out your faith. So you have to minister to other people. You have to allow what God has graciously deposited into your life through people, through Christians who are being faithful in ministry. You have to also be faithful to the ministry God's entrusted to you and breathe out. And then you will be more spiritually fit, more healthy, And today, we're looking at this idea, the T, which is to train, to discipline. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says to Timothy, the young pastor, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose 
of godliness. Or some of your Bibles might say, train yourself for the purpose of godliness or to this end. Training is not comfortable. Disciplining yourself is not comfortable, is it? That's one of the things that, to be honest, keep me from getting too plugged into the gym, is it hurts. And the older that I get, the more that it hurts, right? And I've been watching some videos over the last couple months. I'm trying to be more healthy. And, and by the way, I did this before the new year started, okay? So it's not just a gimmick. My goal was to lose about five pounds. This was between around Halloween, the very first of November, through the end of the new year. I was like, I want to lose five pounds. And so I started walking more. And I set a goal to walk a certain amount of steps a day. And I was like, I wonder how this is going to help me. And I, I went to, you know, my trusty YouTube app and I watched some videos and I was so pleased to hear that walking supposedly is better for you than running if you're over 40. I was like, yes. I'm so happy to be 40 now, right? They said, this is the reason why, because if you're over 40 and you start jogging and you haven't done it for a long time, you're probably gonna get injured. You're probably gonna hurt yourself. So, and then you'll have to stop exercising completely for a couple of weeks because you'll be nursing an injury and you can't start until you know you get your injury fixed and so the best thing to do is just to walk walking is safer it's not as much you know torque on your body just walk and get your breathing up and walk for a long time and it's safer and you can walk every day no time out and I thought this is great news but getting out there and Walking every day and trying to walk two or three miles every day or getting the steps in or whatever or going to the gym or whatever, it's not fun physically for us because it hurts. And it usually hurts in the beginning. But then after a while, when your body gets used to it and your joints get used to it and things like that, you actually get used to it and it feels okay after a while, but it takes time to, to warm up. The same thing is true spiritually for us. If you have habits in your life that cause you time constraints, habits, rhythms, whatever, that keep you from being in God's word and meditating on his word and hiding it in your heart and having relationships with other believers where they regularly hold you accountable and likewise you to them. If that's something strange to you, then getting into those routines is gonna be very, very, very difficult at first. And you're gonna start making up reasons for why you can't do it. That's why it's called training. That's why it's called discipline. Nobody likes discipline. That word train means you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience discomfort. Discipline means that there's going to be change. You're going to have to make some changes. There's going to be loss. How many of you today, if I were to say, how much room on your plate do you have for more things to do? How many of you would say, you know what? I got tons of room on my plate. Lots. Not very many. Most people would say, my plate is full. And depending upon your stage of life and where you are and what you're doing, your plate's gonna look different from other people. But it will always be disciplined because 
being disciplined, it will, it will always be painful because each and every one of us will have to remove something off of our plate to put something else on that we desire. So we're going to lose things. Jesus says to people who come to him and in the New Testament and say, well, I'll follow you wherever you go. Wherever you lead, I'll follow. And Jesus says things like, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Are you willing to give up house and home and job and relationship with loved ones to follow me? The rich young ruler approached Jesus, said, I have everything. I've followed the law. I just want the everlasting life that you're selling. Can I have that, please? And Jesus says, you go and you take all your stuff that you love, sell it. That's a huge amputation right there. Sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me and you can be my disciple. The Bible says the rich young ruler went away grieved because he owned a lot. He wasn't willing to take stuff off his plate for Jesus. It wasn't worth it to him. That's why it's called discipleship, right? Because it's going to cost us something. Very much like a physical diet and physical fitness costs us physically. We're going to have to exchange some things. In Romans chapter 1, Paul tells his audience, he says that the nations are lost, that they're separated from God, they're without excuse. Because God revealed himself to all of us in the beginning, and he has throughout time. General revelation, God makes his, his presence known to us, but we have, as a humanity, have exchanged the glory, that is the weight, the substance, of the incorruptible God with images. Corruptible man and forfeited creatures. and We've exchanged, but in the wrong way. And so now as we become Christians, God invites us. He literally calls us to come back to him and to make new exchanges. To take some of those things off of our plate. Those idols that we've worshipped. Those habits that we've held to. And have new ones. Ones that accompany new life in Christ. So he says, discipline yourself. Did you catch that? Discipline Yourself, He tells Timothy, Timothy, you're going to have to learn to discipline yourself. Train yourself. When we talked about spiritual food, we talked about how we have to become self-feeders. Right? We have to take in God's word. Man, God has given us so many gifts in our lifetime. You know that so many other Christian brothers and sisters who've come before us did not have the Bible in their own language. For many, many years. They didn't have scripture in their own language. It was in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And then it was in Latin. And then it might have been in Latin and in German. And then in Latin and German and Old English and some other things. And before we could ever have it in our language, in a language we could understand. But we do. We have access to it. We can take it in. You can listen to an audio Bible on your phone while you're driving. Man, it's amazing the access that we have to spiritual food today. He says you must discipline yourself. Now this is very difficult in the Christian life, isn't it? We need help with this, do we not? 
I don't know about you, but I need your help. I need your help. When I seek to discipline and train myself in godliness, I need the help of my wife, of my children. I need the help of my Christian friends. I need the help of my church. I need your help. But when it comes down to it, you know as well as I do, if, if you've ever been on a physical diet or trying to, to get in shape, at the end of the day, who's the only one who's going to keep you tied? You. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to want to see the value in working out, in being in the gym, in walking, in making those sacrifices, changing your diet. You have to want it. And in the same way, in the spiritual life, you have to want Jesus more than anything else. And nobody else. Nobody else in this room, nobody else in your family, nobody else in the world can change your heart. The love of Christ compels us, Paul says. It, it pushes us forward. What he's done on the cross is, is at the forefront of our minds all the time. And we just, we need, we need God's word to remind us. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us, to bring the scenes of Calvary before us over and over and over. We need help. We need God's help. We need one another's help. I don't think Noah will mind me sharing this story with you, but Noah is a great tennis player, my son. Great tennis player. And when he first started playing tennis, uh, he, would, he would go to, uh, when we were living there in, in Texas or in Oklahoma, we'd drive back to Texas, we'd have family reunions and things like that. And my brothers and me and my dad and cousins would go out and we would play tennis or we'd play basketball or whatever and Noah would come out there and he's like man I want to play of course he's the he's the oldest grandson in the family so there were no other grandsons and he was seven eight years old and he wanted to play and everybody was bigger than him and so he was kind of frustrated you know because we'd be like yeah okay you can play a game and then we'd get back to smashing you know the ball or whatever so he grows up he learned and now he can whip everybody in our family he's incredible and he's killing me. He's killing me on the tennis court last couple of years. But not long ago, and this has happened a couple times, we'll go out and for some miracle, I would be beating him. Okay? And we both know it's not because I'm doing really well. Right? I, I've hit the ceiling on my ability. And, and I, I would never share this publicly or even in front of him, because it hurts my pride, but when I go out there, I'm trying my hardest, okay? He's not, and I can tell. And then sometimes we'll be out there, and, and he'll, be, he'll be doing something wrong, and I don't know what it is. He'll know better than I do. But it's, his serves are always long, or they're wide, or something like that. He's just not getting his serves in, and he's getting frustrated, and he'll ask me. He'll say, what am I doing wrong? Tell me what I'm doing. And, and I love hearing that from him because it tells me that he, he cares. He cares about the work that he's put in. He cares about his performance. He, he cares about the game. He cares about those things. Can I tell you a secret? Lately, I don't want to tell him what he's doing wrong. Even if I know. Even if I recognize it. Because I like winning. And I just want to say, I don't know, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. There you go, Noah. The cat's out of the bag. Secret's out. 
we have to care enough about our, our walk with Christ that we're not ashamed, not embarrassed, that we, we want to be united with him so much that we're willing to invite people into our life to help us discipline ourselves, to hold us accountable. People that we can say, what am I, what am I doing? What do I need to do? You know, the psalmist says to God, search me and know me, try me, test me, know, my, know the thoughts on my heart, Re- reveal in me any wicked way because I want to walk with you in fellowship. I want to be in right relationship with my Savior. So Paul says, train yourself. Train yourself. Discipline yourself. But he says, specifically, discipline yourself for something that most people today do not want to discipline themselves for. You ready for it? Godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Godliness is not important to people today as a whole. When we look at the church in, in our day and in our time where we live and you talk to people who are churchgoers and you talk to them about what is it they want to be known for? What, what is it that they want friends and neighbors and family members and whoever to know them for? They would never, they would not put godliness at the top of their list. They would say authenticity being real. I, I just want people to know that I love them. I just, I, just, I just love people. I don't have anything against anybody. I'm just real. I'm authentic. I'm transparent. You know, you, you, what you see is what you get. I'm not trying to be somebody that I'm not. And, and almost our greatest fear is that people would look at us and think that we're phony. That's like our, one of our major fears. I would say it's probably our top three. But when I teach at GCU and I, and I talk to students in our Christian Worldview class and we ask questions like that, they are so concerned with what other people think of them. So concerned. The people, the people believe that I'm real. Do they think that I'm authentic? Or do they think that I'm a phony? Most people do not want to stand out in the crowd. They, they just want to be accepted. They just want to be average. And so we tend to think that godliness is something that's kind of a goody two-shoes type of idea, right? Who, who wants to strive to, for godliness? That would just make me stand out and look inauthentic and, and look like, you know, I'm better than everybody else. I don't want to aspire to godliness, I want people to know that I'm, I'm, I'm just one of the average Joes. And so I'll commit the same sins as everybody else and not think that it's a very big deal. I'll talk the same way. I'll live the same way. I'll make the same types of financial decisions and moral decisions because I don't want to stand out. And if I stand out, well, then if I try to witness to them as a Christian, then they're not going to listen to me because I'm not even a normal person. I'm just weird. This is kind of the way that our thinking carries on. Here's the ironic thing. The ironic thing is that people are the most mediocre at excellence. When we talk about excellence, the people that are the most mediocre at pursuing excellence are so by striving to be the most excellent at mediocrity. 
Isn't that crazy? Isn't it ironic? That we'll walk around and claim, look, I'm not trying to excel in anything. I just want to be normal. Guess what? You're trying to excel at being normal. By being accepted. You want to excel at being uh, authentic or real or transparent. You want to be the most transparent person compared to everybody else. You want to be the most average person compared to anyone else. You don't want to stick out. Guess what? You're pursuing excellence in something. Isn't that ironic? And so then we begin to have this false sense of humility. And we walk around thinking, I, I'm not trying to pursue anything crazy out there. I'm just a normal person. And we have this sense of humility that we're one of the good guys. And the question is, is that false sense of humility just severe laziness on our part? I think it can be. I think it can be. Will holiness, will godliness, will pursuing godliness make you stand out? Yes, it will. When you treat your spouse differently than all your coworkers treat and talk about their spouse, you will stick out. You will stand out. When you raise your children differently than other people in the culture, because you're pursuing godliness in your family and in your children's life, you will stand out. You will not camouflage well. You just won't. When you decide men in the locker room, on the golf course, in the workplace, not to have the kind of banters and conversations that other people in your workplace are having, you're not gonna contribute to those because you're pursuing godliness, guess what? You're gonna stand out. You guys know that. You can't hide. God doesn't want you to hide. See, Paul doesn't tell Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of relevance so that you will be relevant to the people in your life, to the culture. He doesn't say discipline yourself for the purpose of authenticity. He doesn't say discipline yourself so that you don't stand out. So many Christians and so many churches and so many preachers today don't ever tell the truth because they believe that the only way lost people are going to believe in Jesus is if we camouflage ourselves in such a way as that nobody notices that we belong to Christ and somehow we slip in the gospel in a way that people will accept apart from the actual true message of the gospel. It doesn't work that way. Godliness will make you stand out. But he says, discipline yourself, Timothy, for the purpose of of godliness to be more like Jesus so this morning I, I want to invite you to just evaluate your life as I evaluate mine with you this morning that we would evaluate our lives just do a little inventory this morning and I want you to, to ask yourself this question what drives me what is it that's driving you? 
when we think about people who live in the gym, right, and who exercise all the time and who eat these crazy diets, you know, in order to pursue some goal. Some are trying to participate in a triathlon. You know, some want to be an Olympian. Some just want to lose a couple of sizes in their waist or something like that. Others want to be healthy, you know, because like me, I'm a type 2 diabetic. And so for me, it's about my A1C numbers, right? That's what I want to change. It's very definitive. It's like I want to see my A1C be where it's supposed to be. Some people want to be Mr. Universe or Mrs. Universe or whatever and world's strongest person or whatever. We, we all have things that drive us and those people have things that drive them and that's, that's how they continue on. That's how they continue to eat the things they eat and discipline themselves the way that they do. But in the Christian life, we have to decide what is it that drives us because even as Christians, some of us are driven by our finances. That's what controls us. What dictates the, the, every move that we make on a daily basis is the money that's in our checking account. Are we paying our bills on time? Does everybody in our family have enough to eat? Right? I mean, are, are we in the black? And that consumes our minds. It's hard not to let that consume you, isn't it? It's one of the most important things right? It's to be stewards, good stewards, and to be financially fit. But if, if that's what drives you, you're going to ignore, you're going to ignore God's word. You might ignore spiritually fit things because you're so focused on finances. You, it also might be relationships. It might be interpersonal relationships that drive you. Maybe good ones, maybe bad ones. But they control you. It's all you think about. And because it's all you think about, and it's, it's, it covers your plate, you don't have room to discipline yourself for godliness. Paul says this. He says, I do all things for the sake of Christ. I do everything for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I've suffered the loss of all things for his sake. He says, this is why. This is what drives me. That I may know him. That's what he says in Philippians chapter three. That I may know him. And, and I don't know about you, but I think about that. I go, wait a minute, this is the apostle Paul. He wrote half the New Testament. He, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's... he's crazy about Jesus and are you telling me in Philippians 3 he doesn't know Christ that I may know him in the future tense Paul's saying I yes I know him yes I've met him yes I'm born again and I'm saved but I want more of him I want to know him more I can't get enough of Jesus when I think about Paul's statement I think about these people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and these Mr. Universes who, they, they don't know when to stop. <laughs> it's like, okay, you have enough muscle, all right? They don't know when to stop. Man, if I, if my spiritual walk looked like that, now, now I'm getting to what it, a little bit to what it means. 
what Paul's talking about here. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So Paul says, that I may know him. But then he says, not that I have already arrived, but I press on. I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ. And so now, my life as a new believer, I'm like an athlete who is singularly focused. I no longer play around with this thing. I'm not one of those guys who's just, you know, boxing at the air. No, no, no. I, I, I know my mark. Uh, I have a reason for living now. And it's completely new. I'm not the same person who just now has a new religion that they're involved in. Jesus is everything to me. But we have this promise in the Word too. Just in case you're worried that having that singular focus is going to cause all these other things that you care about and that you believe God wants you to care about. Just in case you think all those other things on your plate are going to just completely disappear and that God's not concerned with those. We have this promise in his word that says this. Tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all these things that are good, pursuing relationships, finances, your work, your career, all those things will be added unto you. He'll take care of you. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, tells a story of a basketball player. And he says that whenever you look at the pro basketball players, this is why they get so many endorsements. This is why Nike goes after, you know, LeBron James or Michael Jordan or whoever is because they know they're going to be wearing a shirt with that Nike swoosh on it. And they're going to be out on their playground. They're going to be out, you know, wherever. And kids are going to see that Nike. They're going to be like, I, I want that brand because who's wearing it? And Willard goes on to say, it's interesting that kids who idolize those players, they'll put on the jerseys with the player's name on the back and the, the Nike insignia. And they'll go out and they'll, you know, act like they're like that person. They kind of idolize that person. And Willard says, but putting on the jersey and talking like that player and you know, whatever, it's not going to make you an NBA basketball star. What people don't see is they don't see, they don't see the everyday grind and training and discipline that each one of those professional players has when the camera's not on them. What people see is when the camera's on them. Their public life. When I was a kid, I had a Michael Jordan poster on my, on my door. I loved basketball. Friends who loved basketball. I used to watch Michael Jordan play. And there was a commercial. Some little kid was singing, I want to be like Mike. Any of you remember that commercial? Like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Remember that? Every kid wanted to be like Mike. Everybody wanted to fly towards the rim like him. There are so, so many people who wanted to be like Mike, but didn't end up being like Mike. 
But I know one person who did. One person who did want to be like Mike and became exactly like Mike. As a matter of fact, if you watch his clips, you would swear you were looking at Michael Jordan, and that's Kobe Bryant. If you watched Kobe Bryant play, he played exactly like Michael Jordan. His moves, everything. But the reason that Kobe Bryant was so great was not because he looked like Michael Jordan, but because he had the same work ethic as Michael Jordan. There's a story of one of his teammates, one of Kobe's teammates, who said they would go to the gym, and when they got to the gym, Kobe was there. Every single time. They never, they tried to get to the gym before Kobe. They never could. And then they would practice and work out and practice, and they were like, I'm not leaving until Kobe Bryant goes home. And then finally they just give up. They were like, can't do it, and then go home. What they didn't know was that Kobe Bryant made a commitment to be in the gym before anybody else and to leave only when everybody else had left. He had planned to leave a lot earlier than this guy. But he said, I'm not leaving until he leaves. And he outlasted this other player in practice and working out because he had a single focus. I don't know about the rest of Kobe's life. He, he could have been a poor husband, poor father, not have time for anything else. Other than, I don't know. I can't tell you he's a, he was a good role model in that respect. But I will say this. If as Christians, we focus our energy on the person and work of Christ and we seek first his kingdom, he will add all these things to us. But very rarely, very rarely do we see the type of discipleship that Paul is calling for from Timothy for us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So, what drives you? I'm not asking you what things are important in your life. I know that's a long list. I know there are several priorities. Maybe the person sitting next to you, a spouse, a loved one. It's God's will for us to love one another in those ways. But what is your dry, single driving force as a Christian? I pray that we think about this passage this morning and that we commit to ask God today to help us and to ask his Holy Spirit to help us make Jesus Christ our singular focus. Knowing that everything else he's entrusted to us, every other relationship, every other stewardship, every other good thing, and if we fix our eyes on him and make him our singular focus, he will, he will take care of all the rest. I pray that we realize that this morning and that we put our faith and our trust in him even more today. Would you bow your head as we close? I'm gonna close this in prayer. Maybe you're here this morning and thinking about God's word and about the message. You have realized that there is something in your life that has dominated your time and energy. 
something that makes you devote so much time and energy that you're ignoring God's call to grow in him, to be developed on a deeper level spiritually in his word and in relationship to him. If he has revealed that to you by his spirit this morning, would you simply say to him privately in prayer right now, if you're willing to, Lord, I've made this my singular focus. I confess that to you and I want to turn it over to you right now. And I want to make Christ and my relationship with him my singular focus. And I want to discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. Would you help me as I turn this over to you? If you're here this morning and you've never begun a saving relationship with Christ, you can call upon the name of the Lord right now where you sit. The Bible says if you're honest with the Lord to confess your sin to Him and ask for forgiveness, that He is faithful to forgive you that he's provided a sacrifice for you in his son, Jesus Christ, who died in your place, if you'll just accept him. If you'll turn around, accept Christ's gift of salvation on the cross, God will receive you right now. And Father, as we pray, Lord, hear the meditations of our hearts. God, as we lift up our requests to you, as we come to you in prayer. Father, you tell us in your word that your burden is light, that your, your load is not heavy, it's easy if we would trust Christ. So Lord, we think about spiritual discipline, it seems so overwhelming because we have all these little boxes that we think that we need to tick to read through the Bible, the whole Bible in a month or to pray a million times a day or, or whatever it might be. God, would you show us exactly what you want from each one of us as individuals in specific ways this morning, steps that you would have us to take to walk closer with you and to discipline ourselves. And to know it's not gonna look the same for everybody across the room. But every single one of us, you're calling to make a step in the right direction. Show us what that step is, Lord, that we can be faithful, and we can put our faith and our trust in you, and that we can be unashamedly more godly and more like Christ and therefore be actual salt and light in the world you put us in. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.